I'm Dan Bracken, and I'm John Wurlidge. I'm the communication director at Ginghamsburg Church, and John is the online game. That's weird. I should say I am. Because <laughs> you're like, and John is. <laughs> We're off to a great start. <laughs> oh, Who goes. are you, John? <laughs> Who are you? I am Batman. <laughs> John, and I am the online campus director at Ginghamsburg Church. The name of this podcast is Make It Happen. Maybe you're post-deconstruction, your faith is in a new place, you're tired with the old ways of doing things, and you're ready to do church a little differently. The old containers just don't do it for you anymore, and so we'll talk a lot about ministry philosophy and concepts and ideas, and we'll brush with broad strokes around the most poignant conversations of our age. We'll talk about what needs to change and what we need to do to make it happen. John and I have each written down a list of ways we would like to experience church a little differently. We're going to ask some important questions and offer some ways to make it happen. (laughs) What were you going to say? I was going to say to do church different. (laughs) (laughs) So when it comes to trends in the church... Technology is one thing that heavily influences both of our jobs and ministries, but we've also both just been Christians for a long time. Yeah. When did your Jesus journey actually start? Technically from birth, because my dad's an ordained pastor, but I like I claimed my faith when I was in sixth grade. That yeah. was when I said yes to Jesus. So since I was 11, 12, 13, 12-ish, yeah, yeah, so going on 25 years almost. So what happened in sixth grade? Our youth pastor brought in a guest speaker, and just what I remember is she presented the gospel in a way that I had to respond. You know, my whole life, I'd been raised in the church. I was familiar with the church. I knew all the stories, everything about who Jesus was, but the way she shared the gospel that night was just, I knew I needed to respond, and so in that moment, I stood up and said yes, and here we are. That's awesome. Yeah. What about you? For me, it was as a sophomore in high school. I was on spring retreat with my youth group. I remember sitting around a fire at uh, Camp Aldersgate. If you're in Kentucky, connected to the United Methodist Church, you might know about Camp Aldersgate, Aldersgate Camp. And uh, our youth pastor, it was kind of simple. We were to write something that we were struggling with on a piece of paper and then crumple it up and throw it in the fire mm. and just give it over to God, right? But I remember that night writing laziness on my paper, mm. uh, but when I threw it into the fire, it was like God wanted more than that. Mm. Um, he actually wanted all of me. Mm. <laughs> and so that was that was it for me. I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah. Uh, so we are talking all about doing church differently, yep. right? And so you've, you've really, you were born into the church. <laughs> um Technically, I kind of, I mean, I've been going to church since I was real young. I was yeah. baptized as an infant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so at this point, um, I'm almost 40. Are you, what, how old are you? As of, as of this recording, 35. 35. So I'm 39. <laughs> so I'm, I'm almost hitting that next decade mark. Um, but we've been uh, Jesus followers for, quite a while now mm-hmm. um even since high school it's been yeah. 20 years right yeah and so we've been doing this church thing for a while uh there's probably a point um you know a certain threshold that you hit that uh, after however so many years of doing the church thing mm-hmm. uh 
you start comparing what you know about Jesus and what it takes to follow Jesus to um, the institution of the church, the methods of the church, the containers of the church. Um, and uh, I don't know if it's a, a good thing or a bad thing, but you start to question. Yep. You know, you question. Yeah. Should we do this? Should we do that? Mm-hmm. Why do we do this? Why do we do that? Yep. Uh, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? Um, and so these kinds of conversations are important just to say some things out loud. Yep. I think that's why we decided to sit down with some microphones because we always have great conversations about the what ifs yep. for the church. Yeah. Um, and uh, we have a really interesting platform, that being Ginghamsburg Church, uh, that has a, a very influential... Uh, though shallow history, if you look mm-hmm. at the totality of church right. history, yep. right, really bursting onto the scene uh, with uh, Pastor Mike Slaughter's appointment here in 1979, mm-hmm. um, having experienced uh, rapid growth and um, exponential uh, scale and scope of ministry yep. through the 90s with the Media Reformation, uh, the missional church movement through the early 2000s, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, here lately, also experiencing transition and a little bit of decline and uh, having suffered through a pandemic, just yep. like the entire global church has done as well. And so there's a whole host of um, observations that we can make mm-hmm. um, because of our uh, our history, uh, ministry success, and also our ministry struggles. Yep. Um, and uh, I think for you and I both... Um, our journeys have been different, but they've brought us to this point of yep. uh, similar wondering and questioning of like, well, we seem to be on uh, the cusp of something new. Yep. Um, what is God doing? Yep. He's shaking things up. And so how can we grab a hold of it, take mm-hmm. advantage of it, and uh, really lean into a new season of fruitful ministry uh, for Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. So, where did we leave off? I know we still have this list of things that we'd love to try differently in the church, um, ways that we want to personally experience God in a new way within the church, and uh, also maybe some ways we can suggest to our listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, what's next on the list, John? Next on the list, and this is an interesting one because you know I've talked about this, is leading a, leading a group or a group study. You know, it's one of those things I know we've kind of consistently we've talked yeah. about getting involved and being being part of the church rather than just being a observer. But I also know like what's interesting for both of us is our group experiences may not be may not have been the most um, formative sure. for us, may not have been the most dynamic or, um, you know, like. I know we've we both have voiced that you know we've had we've not had the best experiences. Let's put it that way with yeah. groups in different churches that we've been a part of, and it's because people so. suck. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe we're the problem. Maybe. <laughs> 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 I, I mean, it's it's an honest, like, I wonder, right? Right, like, yeah. I mean, people are people, and obviously it, it should not come as a surprise that when you are in close proximity with other people uh, regularly, <laughs> that conflict <laughs> is going to come up, right. you know? And I honestly, I think my uh, biggest disappointment with participating in what we call here at Ginghamsburg life groups uh, is that any time, maybe this is just a, a young person problem, you know, young adult problem that when you 
are like we sell this picture of doing life together and it's almost like utopian in how we <laughs> pitch it you know it's gonna be great like life is done best with other people like jumping into horizon worlds on our <laughs> on our vr headsets <laughs> yeah right like it's gonna be perfect and you're gonna love it and then you get into it and it's like this is kind of awkward <laughs> you know yeah it's a little awkward um the moment like a disagreement comes up uh you rub shoulders wrong with somebody else um you you naturally go into fight or flight you know either you you work to you work to work it out or you run away um and i think so often in those scenarios at least in all of the scenarios i was in like people really shied away from the hard work of what it means to be in relationship with one another. Mm. Maybe it's because we didn't sell it right. I mean, how do you sell discipleship? You know, hey, yeah. give your life away. Follow Jesus. Yeah. You know, it's not all that attractive right. at, at the top. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's, I mean, that's the thing. It's, you know, you look at, you look at how Jesus actually discipled his disciples. Like he just grabbed random guys and yeah, some of them had shared experience, but you know, he had, the fishermen, he had the tax collector, he had the zealots, he had you know, people from all over, and yet he still brought them together. And it was, you know, three years of, hey, listen to me, look what I do, come with me, walk with me, do what I do. And then, you know, he sent them out to serve. You yeah. know, he, he empowered them and said, you know, I'm going to send you out to preach the news of the kingdom of God, and you know, I'm going to send you out to heal the sick and cast out demons and all these different things. But it's really that I think where, where my struggle with it has been is it's always been about, you know, well, like here's a curriculum you need to follow. Here's Uh a, a study you need to do. And, you know, that just feels forced and inauthentic. You know, it's like, you know, groups that I've been a part of, it's like, Oh, Hey, you're all in the same age demographic let's slap you together and (laughs) figure it out on your own and it's like is that necessarily the best thing you know and i'm not i'm not saying i have the perfect answer but i know like that's been my experience where it's just like oh well you're the young married couple so let's put you together with all the young married couples but okay wouldn't it be cool to put all the young married couples together with somebody who's been married for 25 years and then we can learn wisdom and you know find find our way by yeah. asking questions instead of just n- like commiserating with one another you know yeah so when it comes to making friends you know i'm i'm trying to think through all of my best friends and i do think there are maybe both scenarios are true where sometimes you don't choose your friends they choose you yep. you know uh, other times you are forced to be in proximity with somebody and mm-hmm. because of that, like you don't, neither one of you choose to be friends, but you right. become friends just because of the proximity. Like I'm yep. thinking of my college roommates, right? <laughs> you know, uh, we live together Whether I like these guys or not. Like I look back and they're still really close mm-hmm. uh, to me, you know, um, my brothers, I lived with them. They're like my best friends, yeah. you know, um, but anybody that I've participated in a life group with, they're still just kind of on the margins of, of my life. Yeah. I wonder if that's because I already had pre-existing mm. meaningful relationships that yeah. filled that void for that. me. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or does somehow like mash, like kind of what you said, mashing demographics together with a study, mm-hmm. uh, not take us deep enough 
you know, uh, mm-hmm. do we need to live in a compound <laughs> with each other <laughs> in the same house under the same roof for like days on end, just like a college roommate, you know? No. Yeah. Um, my like in, my introvertedness says no, no, thank you to <laughs> no, other people in my house, dude. Yeah. But something, something just hasn't worked for me with, with yeah. our life group model. Mm-hmm. Um, participated in life groups. I don't want to do that again. And so, so as I'm looking at doing church a new way, you know, the challenge is to lead a group. Right. Right. Maybe not necessarily participate in one passively. Right. Um, but what does it look like to aggressively lead one? Yeah. Uh, and so if, if I'm being honest with what I want, uh, my, I think the, cl- <laughs> I'm still saying this is an introvert because I, it still seems a little idealistic for me to uh, really want to participate in something like this. But Pastor Rachel used to have her open table oh, events, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which was just an open invite. Like anybody she saw, she invited, she created a, a Facebook event um, page that was just an open invitation to come to her house. And it was like a giant carry-in. Yep. And that was way more successful than any carry-in here at Ginghamsburg. Yep. It was in a home. It was in a neighborhood. It was inviting the neighbors. It was hanging out. It was people meeting people. Yep. Um, and so like the theology of the table, mm-hmm. uh, what it means to be in relationship with people who are different than you, uh, in a casual environment where you're sharing food, yep. um, you're sharing new experiences, like flavors. Every, there's like... Uh, diversity in flavor. There's yep. diversity in relationship and people and backgrounds. Yep. Um, diversity in color and of skin. Like, it was uh, such a vibrant picture of what it could mean to not necessarily do life together, yeah. but just to hang out, right, <laughs> and enjoy each other's company, yep. um, and let things kind of unfold as they may. Yep. Uh, I've yet to host an open table in my home. You know, something is blocking me from really diving in and <laughs> aggressively leading a group. But like that was that was a really neat picture that yeah. I've uh, kept really close. And so maybe for me, uh, the challenge is to lead an open table. Mm-hmm. You know, around my family table at home and inviting yeah. other people to it. What is it for you? Mm. Leading a group. What kind of group would you want to be a part of? Probably a nerd group. A nerd group. <laughs> like you, you want to watch the Mandalorian together. Yeah. 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 Or the latest Marvel films or everything else all together. I don't know. I mean so we have so, hobby groups. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you go to Gingamsburg.org slash life groups, you'll see that we have a bunch of options there. Some of them are hobby based. Like I have a basketball group. Right. You know, so I guess that you could call that a a life group. Yeah. Uh, we're not doing life with each other we pray when we're done playing but right. really it's it's basketball and prayer yeah and that's good for me mm-hmm. like i don't need to live with these guys right um i could get behind hobby groups yeah. you know and uh, maybe they're not forever things right maybe they're temporary yeah uh, but it, it at least it creates a an easier on-ramp i think for some yeah. people because it's like i mean using your basketball group you've got anywhere from 12 to 18 guys yeah. that show up regularly mm-hmm. and it's like not all of them are connected to Ginghamsburg. It's like they found out that there's basketball on Sunday afternoon, so they show up. And it's become a place where they know, like, cool, I can come ball and, you know, pray and get to know some people and be on my way. So I think yeah. that's a that's a good a good way to you know, at least get a foot in the door and yeah. start creating some community. Yeah. Do you think that most people are afraid to lead a group because maybe they're not even good at leading their own family. 
Probably. I mean, there is there is an intimidation factor just in knowing like, ooh, I am leading this group and I don't know what I'm doing. But at the same time, like, I mean, there's a good lesson in that of, you know, God, God calls us to not live in fear. I mean, we're sure. not supposed to live with a spirit of fear. So it's like, maybe, maybe we just need to step out and try it. And sure, it may go down in flames, but, you know, in the first Captain America movie, when before he becomes Captain America, you know, Steve Rogers is this scrawny kid and he gets bullied and beaten up all the time. And, you know, guy starts punching on him and he gets back up and he's like, I can do this all day. You know, so it's that same same idea. It's like, okay, maybe what what's what our experience has been hasn't been what's worked yet. And so so it's you know, let's keep keep trying. Keep Make it happen. It. Yep. Make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> now there's there's one more blockade. Maybe you feel this as a church leader, maybe other church leaders who are listening feel the same way. Uh somehow it's like by default. You get in a group and ta-da, you're the one that's leading. I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't want to lead again. Like, I just I want to experience this life group or this group yep. from like, uh, you know, an outsider's perspective. Yeah. Uh, why is it that I'm always the natural leader? Daggone it! Is that just like a calling on our lives as church staff Must or be. church leaders or like what's that about? You don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's true. It. If if you have if you have a better answer, please let us know. Yeah. But yeah, that's I mean, it's because we're the we're the professional ministry staff. So you you by default you are the leader now, and it's like, but I just need to be in the group. And man, which by the way, if you want to participate in some conversation, uh, email me d bracken at gingsburg org or john at j Wurledge at gingsburg org. Um, we'll hook you up with an invite to our Discord server. Um, there might be other ways to participate too, but we're trying to beef up our Discord yes. server participation. So, uh, join us on the Gingersburg Discord server, and uh, we'll create a text channel for a conversation related to this podcast. It'll be fun. Perfect. All right, next topic. Next topic: new ways to do church differently. Dialogue versus monologue. Dialogue versus monologue. Dialogue over monologue. Dialogue over monologue. Dialogue or monologue. Dialogue and monologue. I think I think probably an and because there mm. are like there are certain places where you do need to hear from an authority. You know what sure. I mean? Like if like if my daughter breaks her arm, like you and I could have a conversation about. Man, I think my daughter's arm is broken. What do you think? Yeah, maybe it's broken. I think it'll be okay. But if I go to the doctor and the doctor goes, what do you think? In my professional opinion, and after <laughs> consulting the x-ray of your daughter's broken arm, it is definitely fractured and needs to be in a... Ca- you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, there are places where a voice of authority is needed. But I think, you know, we were talking earlier, I had, I had uh, listened to some new data from Barna that talked about how Gen Z and millennials, which are the, as the, of recording this podcast, are the two youngest generations in the workplace right now and living profe- you know, young professional lives, are the two most open generations that we've seen yet. You mean like spiritually open? Not just spiritually open, like 
they're open to knowledge open everything. Mm. I mean, there's, um, I don't remember who it was I was listening to, but in a podcast, they were talking about how Gen Z, especially there's this fluidity just to everything. I mean, it's, there's fluidity in their sexuality. There's fluidity in what they believe. There's fluidity in just how they approach life. And so with, with that kind of openness, the best way to engage them is within a conversation. And so it's not necessarily saying like they're, they're more inclined to want to engage with content in a conversation, in a dialogue using our language that we've said, rather than sitting in a seat and listening to someone talk to them, they want to engage. And it's, you know, something that I notice, like how, what would it look like for say, say in student ministry that we would engage with students in their converse, like engage students in the conversation rather than having a specific like teaching moment from a platform, but rather a conversation where we say, here's an idea. We know that the future of the church rests in Gen Z and Gen Alpha, which is the generation that our kids are in, that, you know, there, there is a future. And if, if we want the church to build around that future, like we have to figure out how to engage them. Yeah. What, what built the, the church in the, the eighties and the nineties and the early two thousands. It's like, we can't just keep thinking that that's going to work for the generations that are coming. It's like, we have to find, we have to find ways to engage them and, and really give them opportunities to interact with content, interact with ideas and, and really make those decisions on their own. When we create an atmosphere and an environment where people can feel comfortable to, going back to what you said about really engaging in, in difficult conversations yeah. and, and really finding a way to engage in dialogue, it helps you, it helps you come to that place of, of deeper faith and that place of w- wanting yeah. to make that choice, but it's not necessarily yeah. something that we're forced into. So, man, okay. I've got a lot of thoughts. Um, so when we talk monologue and dialogue, let's define those terms for, for a second. Sure. So monologue, Yeah. what are we talking about? Monologue would be your standard authority on a platform. So in our context, that would be a pastor speaking from a stage with a microphone to a room of seats that are all facing one direction all you know with the yeah the visual of a performance yeah not you know please please hear me one way communication performing but yes one way one way communication yeah right whereas then dialogue would be how do we how do we engage with the content the sum of the parts is greater than than one piece by itself. Okay, so th- here's here's a problem I see in the church at large when it comes to monologue preaching. Mm-hmm. Here's an example. I know in the communication world there are a lot of creative types like me, graphic designers who are creating sermon slides in pro presenter or easy worship or media shout or whatever it is on Sunday mornings. Yep. And there is a prevalent... Uh, issue that all of my graphic design friends share, which is getting sermon manuscripts or sermon notes literally 10 minutes before worship. (laughs) (laughs) 
pastors who maybe like I get there's some empathy because when you're when you're pastoring a smaller medium sized church, it's like you're expected to do everything. Yep. Right. Yep. And so, how do you build time? into your schedule to bring other people into the conversation to have a message crafted with enough of a runway for your designers to adequately use their gifts to create visuals for the screen right you know so there's probably lots of things at play here but what happens is if you don't bring anybody else into it you're only like uh, writing through your own revelation of what god is revealing which Mm. For some of us, maybe that's okay. Yeah. I'm more of a team revelation kind of a guy. And so to exclude other people from offering input into what you're creating, like yeah. what are you hearing from God about this particular scripture or passage? Yeah. What are you hearing? What are your felt needs? Like help me understand your context and your right. situation so I can be that interpreter between like God and the spirit and how to make it practical for you. Cause I want to make the scriptures make sense for your practical life. Right. But I'm not going to know what that looks like if I don't, like invite you into the conversation on the writing side of things, Mm -hmm. you know, as I'm crafting a message. Um, But what happens is we get tied up. uh, We don't have time to bring other people in. Ministry eats us up throughout the week. And then it's like, oh crap, I got to say something in the pulpit on Sundays. And so I'm going to write something real quick on Saturday morning. I'm going to maybe refine it Saturday night or Sunday morning at like 4 a.m., you know, and then I'm going to I'm going to email it to my graphic designer so they can like upload slides. Um, But then it just creates tension on the back end. You know, your your designers are now reacting to something that's coming at them last minute. So you've created a tension point right before the start of worship without any opportunity for input or dialogue from uh, from people who might actually benefit. Uh, from hearing this word from God, when you're actually delivering it, you know, it's like a 30-minute speech. Yep. Uh, you don't leave any room for anybody in the audience uh, to give feedback, yep. maybe the occasional amen or hallelujah, right. but you're not like pausing for questions, right. unless you are, and cool, good. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think right. that's great. Um, and then on the on the back end, you know, unless you're uploading it to on-demand platforms with like, comment sections, you know, that's the only time we have to engage with the content. Right. And so you could post your message with a little trepidation because you're not sure like actually how people are going to respond to it because you've already written it and you've already delivered it and it's out there now. And now you're like, I wonder if this is going to hit because now I'm receiving feedback, whether it was good or bad. Like you don't, you can go into sermons with more confidence if you allow space for team revelation, mm-hmm. you know, because you know going into it that you've got the team, the team has your back, yep. um, you understand their felt needs, you, you're confident in your calls to action because mm-hmm. um, you already have confirmation from the team that helped craft the calls to action with you, yep. you know. Um, you actually want to be helpful, right? Mm-hmm. And so I even think uh, the way our culture has approached writing and delivering sermons totally needs to be blown up and rethought. Um, Whether that means uh, we still have 30 minutes or maybe we need longer in church because conversation together might mean like longer windows of conversation. Um, I can remember just a few weeks ago, I was at student retreat in Michigan with our uh, middle school and high school students 
and after one of the main sessions, uh, we broke up into small groups, pretty traditional um, method of, of discipleship these days, right? Mm-hmm. And I had a predetermined list of questions. Uh, there was an agenda, right? Yep. There's an additional scripture that as group leaders we're supposed to read with these questions to guide conversation. Mm-hmm. Um but it was still me asking all the questions right. and letting the kids like answer, which is good. And they actually tell you as a group leader, be careful not to uh, offer too many answers. Mm-hmm. Um, but like those kids, man, uh, when I just opened it up outside of the agenda that we were given, um, one kid in particular just started like asking question after Mm. question after question after question after question after question about faith about the universe about creation about adam and eve and like all this stuff he had heard in church but never had an opportunity to like ask the teacher (laughs) you know and um i just i listened to him i said i don't have answers because i was advised not to give too many answers right which is (laughs) fine but that's exactly what he needed yeah like was just to ask the questions like he didn't need the answers but he needed to ask yeah um, and he needed to just get off of his chest all of these things that were piling up over the years. Mm-hmm. And that was such a meaningful moment for him yeah. and for me, too, to, like, see that these kids are hungry for dialogue. Mm-hmm. Like, and we never leave them any space to ask any questions, right. you know? And I feel like that's so tragic. Yeah. That's so tragic. Yeah. Um, another thing that, that uh, I, I thought was really interesting I had a coffee date with uh, a good friend of mine. Um, he is the principal of a uh, a new school that's being built in Dayton. And I asked him about the classroom just because I think there's a lot of parallels between how teachers teach in the classroom. Mm-hmm. You know, traditionally you see a monologue style. Maybe a teacher yep. or a professor is up front with a chalkboard or a whiteboard and the class is in rows taking notes, you know. The good teachers, the best teachers, uh, tend to uh, open up dialogue in the classroom, you know, right. conversation. Uh, so I was just curious if there are any parallels to what my friend uh, is seeing in the classroom and how we might be able to apply that to uh, church and sermons and teaching um, and discipleship. And he said, what's interesting, uh, you and I are both very interested in AI right mm-hmm. now, right? Uh, well, Teachers are now not necessarily the primary authority on whatever's being taught in that classroom. Right. Uh, AI has allowed for customization of uh, educational pathways. And so the kids in the class, you might have 20 kids in your class, but through Google Classrooms or whatever software, um, they've been able to track progress on individual kids through the years. And as they move through grade by grade, uh, they have customized mm. uh, pathways, you know, recommended readings yep. based off of their reading levels yep. and next steps for them. Uh, and so everybody in the classroom is kind of at a different pace and at a different place. But the teacher's primary responsibility is still to teach, but more time is dedicated to right. going around the classroom right connecting individually with each kid, asking if they have any questions, uh, helping to facilitate their own individual yeah. like educational pathways. Um, and so I wonder, too, like, I mean, obviously, when you are speaking to a large crowd, uh, like we had, I'll say we had 305 people in the room at our 1030 celebration on Sunday morning. Yep. When you're speaking to 305 people at once, obviously there are 
individual felt needs of everybody in the room. Everybody's on their own faith journey, right? right? You can't address everybody at once Mm -hmm. unless you're speaking only to broad stroke felt needs, you know, universal felt needs. Um, And so I don't know, like, I don't know what that means in terms of like, how do we actually disciple people who are at all, who are all over the map um, on their faith with their faith journey, their understanding of Jesus, their understanding of scripture. Uh, how do we allow people who have questions like mm. this kid on winter retreat who just went blah, 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 right. uh, because he had never been given an opportunity. Yeah. Um, I mean, my guess is there's probably people who are sitting out there that have been out there for 20 years who have not gotten uh, connected more deeply in our discipleship uh, pathway, our classes that we offer, have not participated in a life group, maybe just doesn't work out for them, and yet they've been sitting out there with all these questions for 20 years. Right. I don't know what all this means. Yeah. What do we need to make happen here? Yeah. How do we make it happen? What are we making happen? Well... How do we make dialogue happen? Right. Uh, That's, you know, going going back to this idea for, you know, for me teaching it, YG in a few weeks like I'm trying to I'm trying to wrap my mind around ways to allow that interaction to happen and not not necessarily saying and and it puts you at some risk obviously like I mean I've spent my fair share of time around middle school and high school and elementary Uh school kids and it's like yeah you have a question why are you wearing a blue shirt today? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but but it's also like you kind of have to allow for that because, you know, you may have one kid asking, why am I wearing a blue shirt? But then you may have another kid going, man, how do I set a boundary that prevents such and such from happening? How do I, you know, and that's that's where you get to the meat of what's yeah. there. It's not just saying like, well, here's here's the teaching that I have prepared for tonight. It's how do we how do we apply this? And I think I think that's the biggest point of a dialogue is figuring out what do we do with what we're talking about. It's how how does that affect my life? And then knowing how that affects my life, how does that affect your life? So if I set a boundary for, you know, say you have some abusive friends at school, if you set a boundary of saying I'm not going to hang out with those friends anymore. It's like, how's that going to affect you? How's that going to affect those friends? How's that going to, you know, so there's like, it it creates this place of not just saying, man, I heard somebody say I need to set boundaries, but it, it really helps you take ownership of, of what, you know, what's happened in the conversation. So, um, and then it's like, okay, if there's no questions, then we can end early. And maybe that's just what we need to, do in our worship celebrations is to like leave 15 minutes at the end leave, for questions leave and space a, for dialogue and it's like yeah. hey if you want to hang around and ask questions great if you want to duck out <laughs> 10 minutes early so see my, you next week you my know? wife would be terrified of that because she's <laughs> so like anxiety man if you give somebody a microphone in a public space like that you know the danger of them commandeering the the, yeah. the moment you know well maybe uh, maybe it becomes maybe it becomes something where it's not the whole gathering. Maybe it becomes, you know, like the way our sanctuary is set up. We have four sections of seats on the floor and then the balcony. Maybe it becomes, hey, people in the balcony, 
gathered yeah. together. Okay, maybe, so, maybe, so so there you go. It goes from a room with 305 people right, you gotta to, make the room smaller. to a conversation of maybe it's 30 people yeah. or well and then so so you need to so theology of space you got to change the seating then yeah. you know like cuz there's something about the container the container of uh performer and audience yeah. right we've mimicked that in the church yeah. there is a stage and a pulpit a platform yeah. and then rows of people who are looking and watching yeah. right there's two people in that conversation two right. entities in that conversation right. the performer and the spectators yeah. right Dang it, we got to th- rethink our spaces. Yeah. Right? Like, we got to rethink our seating. How do we sit people in circles <laughs> and yep. not rows? Like, literally. Um, and not just like putting the, the, the entity of the performer in the center and the spectators in the round around them. Like, that's not what I'm talking about because I think that's the same thing. Right. I think that's the same thing. Yeah. Maybe it's a little bit better because you're making eye contact with the people around you. Yeah. Um, maybe it's a more communal experience to like worship in the round. But still, like, I don't think that's getting what I'm getting at. I think I think we gotta somehow create our spaces that are conducive to more conversation. Um, we've tried to do that. We've tried to do that with the chat yep. in our app, yep. right? Uh, I had this brilliant idea of putting our live chat widget in the Gingsburg app because we had people chatting on Facebook and on YouTube and at our website Gingsburg.church. Um, and I was like, how do we get all of our campuses connected in conversation about what's happening live? Let's put an app or let's put a, a chat function in our app, right? Because um, what I wanted, I, I can remember being a kid sitting next to my brother and always like ribbing him with my elbow, you know, <laughs> did you hear what the pastor just said? Or like writing him a little note, like, do you think that's true? You know, yeah. uh, my brother and I always had conversations in the pew uh, silently whispering in the back, you know, yeah. or writing notes back and forth, passing notes in class kind yep. of thing. But that was so um, formative for me to yeah. be able to have somebody that I could wrestle in real time with what the pastor is saying with authority. Right. You know, I think there's probably part of our generation and especially those after us who are always questioning right. authority, um, questioning, questioning authority. And uh, my hope with that chat, feature in the app was that everybody would like appreciate the opportunity to operate in real time like that with questions that they had. Right. So I don't know if we didn't cast that vision or if it's really not a felt need of the yeah. people we have in our church, but it flopped. Yeah. <laughs> and I was well, surprised. And I mean, that's something, something, an ongoing conversation we've had just in general about the chat, chat for online worship, because it's like, some some other churches it's like their chat is a very vibrant community of people and you know we're we're lucky if we get 20 people saying hi you know not not engaging in conversation so but but yet on us or is it on them or like what the heck yeah i can't figure that one out yeah Mm -hmm. but it is i think i think having a way which and like the flip side of that we've had success when we've done like live polls yeah that that's one way to get people to respond i wonder too like um one of one of the previous churches i worked at shout out to gathering point church if anybody's listening and shout out to pastor mike dominic for this idea but every summer pastor mike did a sermon series called you asked you for asked it. for it that's yeah. right Sorry, and it was yeah. you know he would he would field questions from 
Easter until Memorial Day, he would receive questions from people. And then through the summer, that was the summer sermon series. So June, July, and August, it was, you asked for it. And so it was interacting with questions of everything from, you know, what does the Bible say about eating meat? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It wasn't, I don't remember one like that. But, you know, it was like something as basic as like, you know, does so, the Bible does the Bible allow me to be a vegetarian? In part, basically. what you're talking about is user user generated content. Yes, right. Yes, um, allowing participation uh, from your customers to actually shape the content that you provide. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of engagement, I think, is is good. I, you might you might encounter a situation where um, somebody asks, "Well, what about homosexuality?" Yeah. You know. Uh, what about abortion? Some of these like hot topic mm-hmm. issues. And I think maybe um, that's when your wisdom as a leader has to come through. Like, is this the right conversation for yeah. our uh, community and congregation? So there has to be some kind of filtering, right. I think. Um, because, you know, the leaders of the church are leaders of the church for a good reason. Yeah. I think there's wisdom and discernment right. there. Um, but it cannot be, and I think this is what we're saying, it cannot be only monologue. Right. It cannot be right. one-way communication. I agree. Right. I agree. Yeah. Wrapping up this four-episode arc of making it happen, how do we do church different? You may be sitting here thinking, going, that's all well and good, but what do I do? What's my next step? And I would say, and dis- disagree or chime in otherwise, but I would I would almost say, a step to make it happen is go back through, listen, you know, f- mark down one or two things that you've heard that may resonate with you. Maybe it's the idea of actively saying, I'm going to lead a group, or man, I'm going to engage in dialogue around this topic in this conversation, or, you know, I'm going to shift my focus from inside to outside or <laughs> I'm over here like eating chocolate <laughs> i'm trying to be so quiet opening this wrapper while you're giving this uh delightful close to our episodes and i'm just like ooh, chocolate crackle crinkle, crinkle. chocolate sorry no you're good so so maybe you're you're sitting here thinking going man okay how do i make it happen what what's my what's my step coming out of this and I would encourage you to hopefully you've taken taken mental notes or written something down as you've listened to this of the the ways to do church differently. And I would encourage you to try one or two or maybe it's just doing something as small as maybe you've never participated in a class or a group. Maybe that's something that you can do differently for church in this next season. But maybe it is something as as much as, man, I want to engage in dialogue rather than hearing a monologue or that idea of, man, I've been really focused inwardly and how do I how do I shift my focus outward? How do I how do I start approaching people the way Jesus approached them? How do I how do I choose relationship over relevancy? How do we choose experience before judgment how do we act 
instead of react and all these different things that we've talked about maybe it's as simple as encouraging your church to stop serving donuts on sunday morning each one of us has to take initiative we can't expect our spiritual leaders our pastors our our ministry directors to change things for us like that's that's something that we each have to wrestle with and say man i i need to do something different what did jesus pray in the garden not my will god but yours you know not my will but yours and so maybe that's maybe for you that's your that's your moment of how to do church different is god not what i want in this but god what do you want for me for church when we do this again, I think there's more to talk about. Uh, new tech worth pursuing, VR, AR, AI, social media, print automation, online worship. Like, what does the church pursue? Yeah. Also, what is the hybrid worship ecosystem for getting and neglecting when it comes to worship and discipleship? Uh, I want to talk about magnification and amplification uh, as it relates to technology platforming and influencing uh, worship style design style communication style i've been in the game long enough to know that there are shifts in communication styles culturally that influence how we do church yep. from humor uh through the mega church movement in in the 90s and 2000s uh slapstick humor was really popular uh in the movement of the church now things feel a lot more serious i mean a pandemic will do that to you you know yep. complex trauma um the divisions in the United Methodist Church and everything else. Uh, so there's probably some things to talk about there too. But not till next time. Next time we'll dive in and we'll make it happen. Yes, we will. We'll make it happen. Make it happen with us.